Rogue Table Talks is back on the air. Live. live. Well, <laughs> probably not live for you. No, certainly, definitely not live. Sorry. Nobody's yeah. listening to us in real time right now. <laughs> That'd uh, be impossible. <laughs> no, it'd be impossible unless they're in the same rooms. Uh, number 80. Uh, eight zero. Um, who would have thought back in 1979 when we started this? Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say good old 2019. <laughs> good old 2019. The year before seems, the world crashed. <laughs> it seems like 1979. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like it. Uh, but here we are. Um, and we have an interesting question. Jesus asks an interesting question, as he is wont to do, uh, in a passage that's uh, maybe a little more interesting than we might give it credit for on the surface. Mm-hmm. And it's about change, basically. Uh, it's about change, healing, transformation. Uh, and so I thought maybe we can start with, like, what, how does it happen? How does someone change? what is needed what works against it what are the obstacles what are the roadblocks um let's just throw it out there very general question how do people change and why don't they change maybe that's a better way to say it Hmm. i think you got two two errors when it comes to the question i think i've talked to quite a few people that say people never really change right okay there's an element of truth to that right Right, right. you're element. not going to become a completely different personality. Right, the Probably. element of truth to that, um, but then the biblical text pushes against that. That says, ask, no. seems like that has to change, right? <laughs> yeah, transformation can happen. Um, and then there's the other side of like, I'm I'm a new person. I'm completely completely different. All of my old things are gone, and I'm a brand new person. And none of that old me is a part of me anymore. And I think that's an error off the other side. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, but I'm completely different. Yeah. So I think there's probably some of them. I do think it happens. I think it can happen. I tend to think it's it's long work. It's slow work, uh, but it happens. Transformation happens. I uh, uh, one of the, I remember in undergrad, we were talking about important characteristics of people. And, you know, when you're thinking about, we we're talking about dating as all college students, probably mm-hmm. dating, marriage, right. engagement. Who do you want to marry? You got to, you know, whatever. And one of the things that I thought was really important is uh, I think it was one of our professors said that at the top of your list probably should be something like a willingness to grow or willingness to change or teachability, like something like that, where is the person's stance to life that maybe they're not as great as they thought they were and things could change. Yes. Now, that's, I would say, to some degree, relatively rare. Sure. Because there's a certain amount of self-reflection and honest self-evaluation on the one hand, and there's a certain amount of strength of of self so that I can be honest with where I need to change. Uh, like that's, I think one of the things that's required and that slash gets in the way, I don't want to admit that I am the way I really am. So then I become almost defensive and dig in and get more like 
I am, or I want to tell a pretty story about why I am the way I am. So I don't have to change, uh, because I have an excuse not to change. Um, and then I think maybe culturally there's the, you know, you just celebrate you and your Eunice. You are you and all your Eunice. Happy you. Happy Good for Eunice, you. Eunice day. You be, you do you. Yeah. Uh, where, okay, well, some of me should not, I should not be happy that I am me in all the ways that I'm me. I should be happy in some ways, more happy in other ways. And other ways, I mean, I should say, yeah, I probably, I need to change that. That needs to change. But not to get uh, too I just think that part's rare. I think that's true. Not to get too tangential, but this is where people outside uh, Christian faith are having good conversations. And I think they're, we're going in the right directions and having good conversations about becoming the best version of themselves. And I, I use that phrase, and I know other people mm-hmm. in the church who use that phrase. I think it's a good phrase. I think it means good things. The only challenge when people say that to your point outside of any type of transformation, it tends to become all that really means is I just need to um, be me more out loud, accept who I am and just not not change anything, really. Mm-hmm. Like I just need to be more authentic. But being authentic doesn't necessarily mean that I have edges that need to be shaved off or I'm I'm selfish. Um, you know, it tends to be more of a all of these things I just need to accept as opposed to, well, I probably, probably should work against some of those things, tendencies in my life. So mm-hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, change, transformation. Change, uh, transformation. Um, you know, it, it's, it can turn into living your best life now, which me, you know, which is more like I, I want all the circumstances around my life to be better yeah. uh, instead of not. Maybe maybe the circumstances don't change and I have to be different. Um, I, I think that's it's the tension between I want my life to be different and I want to change uh, because I don't think we always mean the same things by that. Right. Uh, and I, I don't know, let's delve, maybe let's look at the passage first, because I think that's part of what's happening uh, in the passage. I think, uh, real and, quick to, I think that's worth repeating, because I think that's a core, either framework or uh, this or that, that we set up subconsciously when it comes to willingness to change. That either I want to change or... I want my life to be different, which usually doesn't really mean I want to change. It means I want everyone else to change or everything else to change. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think we can fool ourselves into thinking one of those things is really the other of those things. Uh, and uh, because change is difficult uh, and sometimes even seemingly impossible, it seems like a really good reason not to change. Uh, and I, that's perhaps maybe what's going on in John chapter five, uh, where it's just a very interesting passage of scripture where I think there's a lot going on beneath the surface. Uh, and starting in verse one, John five, uh, we read sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, 
and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid applied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, pick, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. Um, so there's, there's, uh, it just seems like a brief, you know, interchange in the life of Jesus, but I think there's a lot going on. Um, probably just so we can visit it and move on past it. Um, we might want to say something about verse four isn't there. Uh, and because it says something about the angel of the Lord coming down and stirring up the water in the pool, which is, was the cause of healing, which is referred to in verse seven, but, uh, in the earliest and best transcripts, that verse just isn't there. Um, so I don't know if we want to say something about, um, you know, the science of textual criticism or how does, you know, how do we know we have the, the scriptures that are, that are right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And if you have anything to say about that, I think we probably just want to visit that and then move on to the, uh, other parts, but probably don't want to just skip over that. Yeah, I think real briefly, you know, people that read their Bibles, they'll see footnotes in their Bibles. This was not in this manuscript or that was not in that manuscript. Um, just briefly, we have a lot of copies of the early Greek New Testament, over 5,000 copies that um, scholars uh, try to uh, test against early manuscripts uh, and early manuscripts, meaning the earlier the date uh, and uh, against other um what uh, proven i guess credible manuscripts so it's i think we're safe to say we can trust that what we have is reliable um and that's why there's the footnotes in there this wasn't right. an earlier manuscript um, right it's it's being right. honest with us right and there's no subterfuge going on there's no trickery uh, because the verse that's not there is listed in the footnotes that in some manuscripts it says this but we don't think this is actually part of the original. Mm -hmm. uh, so as you said, there's this whole science of comparing and there's hundreds, if not thousands of copies uh, are parts of, I think there's more like five, 6,000 significant parts of like books or multiple books, uh, manuscripts of the new Testament that exist that go all the way back for second yeah, centuries. Um, so it's comparing all of those. And maybe that verse was in the King James or in uh, even the revised standard or something, but as we got more manuscripts and more study, okay, this verse seems not to be in the original. Um, and it, instead of detracting confidence, it's, I think it lends confidence that we're pretty sure now what was in the original, because we have so many manuscripts that we can compare. And if you look at the verse, there isn't much in the verse. It's almost like an explanatory footnote of what, it's an expansion of what is said in verse seven about the water being stirred up and, you know, it being a place of healing. Right. Um, and Jesus doesn't even interact. Like that's not even really the point of what's, what's happening here. And that's the other uh, thing before I know you want to move on. And that's the other thing is often the verses that are not in the uh, text that you're reading that say they're in other texts. They, they don't, if you insert those, they don't significantly right. change right. 
the meaning right. or the flow of the, the passage. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. Um, and, but there's these colonnades or these porticos or these, you know, patios, basically this open air with a roof, um, you know, sort of areas around this pool. People are there hoping to be healed. One of these people had been there, you know, for 38 years every day or most every day. Uh, and Jesus walks up to him knowing that he's been there for that long and asks, do you want to get well? Uh, and the guy says, well, you know, listen, I, <laughs> I can't get in the pool when the water is stirred. Uh, cause I'm, you know, I'm disabled and it's hard for me and somebody else gets in. Uh, and then Jesus heals him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he wants to secure it in his mat. So like, let's just, uh, it seems like almost, this is what I, I love about this passage. It almost seems like, uh, an insulting question or, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like. He asks what seems like an obvious, of course he wants to get well. Doesn't everybody? Right. So what's like, I, let me just ask that question because I don't think the answer is what we think the answer is. Doesn't everybody want to get well? Yeah. And it's almost like uh, the tone, yeah. from the response of the invalid person is like, well, it's an assumption. Of course I want to get well, but let me tell you why I haven't been able to get well. Yeah. Let of me course. explain why I'm not well. Uh, and yeah, he doesn't exactly totally answer the question directly. And, you know, there's, there's an interesting sense at which Jesus is placing some responsibility for not getting well, it appears on this man. Now he's got perfect knowledge. We don't so on and so on. Uh, but I do think if we can translate it slightly to like a situation we would be in and say something like, um, do you want to forgive that person? Do you want to be rid of that bitterness? Do you want to be patient? Do you want to be loving? Well, I mean, you don't understand what this person did. I mean, you don't, I mean, right. my wife is this way. My husband is, you know, my boss is, doesn't that happen all, all the time? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, of course, let's move on to the real issue, though. The real issue is them. The real issue is them. And, and they need and, they need to pay or they need to change or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this. And I think it's like, we don't often say that out loud, but we become acquiesced to, this is who I am. This is the way life is. I can't really do anything about it. Uh, I'm disabled and can't get into the pool. I can't, this is who I am which is an interesting, like he comes to the pool every day. He's carried to the pool every day for what purpose? Uh, he'll never beat anybody in. It's been 38 years. Like what's happening here? Mm -hmm. Like what, like what ch choices are you making? In other words, you're going to have to get on with your life one way or the other. 
coming to the pool every day and identifying with being somebody who wants to be healed, but really this is obviously not the avenue to be healed, uh, isn't working. And yet it's what you do every day. I think, forget the, forget the man. And I almost feel like it makes it better that the man is, a, we're sympathetic with the man. We're like, what is he supposed to do? Yeah. Come on, Jesus. But that's what we say. Right, lighten up. <laughs> like, okay, come on. It's still, you know, we're a little embarrassed for Jesus. Like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. And except that's what we do all the time. And I think Jesus asks us, do you, do you really want to be well? Do you really want to forgive your parents? Because uh, I don't know if that's true. Because, well, you know, well, let me just stop there. Go ahead. No, no, finish the thought. That's fine. Well, I just think because there's other things contained in that, you don't like the situation, but you're com- you've grown comfortable with it. In fact, yep. you might hate the situation. And changing the situation is going to require something of you. And it's just maybe easier, not better, easier to say, no, I can't change. I can't yes. change that. That's a great point. So I'm, I'm hearing, so the reality is I actually want something more than I want to change. Because it's not that, you know, you might say to someone, you know, who's just like you set up the framework, who's struggling with bitterness or emotionally broken or something. Like, do you want to get well? Well, of, of course, nobody, uh, there's a part of bitterness that I don't like. I don't want it. But there's actually something that I want more than having to change my bitterness. And that may be I want the comfort more. Uh, it gives, it makes me feel powerful. You know, you, you've done several reconciliation meetings and uh, you and I both know someone who's a, a guru at the reconciliation process. And the, uh, you asked this question going in to both parties. And I think it's worth asking here. It's another version of Jesus' mm-hmm. question. What do you want? Yeah, what do you really want? What do And, and you have to ask it several times because people don't, just like the invalid, they don't quite answer the question. It's a it's a hard question to face. To, it's an eye contact question. Like, no, no, what do you really want deep down? What is it that you want? Deep down, if you're on, well, I want to be reconciled. Okay, well, what does that mean to you? What do you really want? Because often the true answer is, I want them to get what they deserve. I want them to suffer. I want them, they did this to me. They inflicted harm to me. I want them to pay. Right. And there's a certain part of that that, well, you want justice. I get that. And if that's what you really want, let's say it and let's get it out there. Uh, right. And that's part of the purpose of the of the of the question, because we're going to move toward what we really want, not what we think we want, or not what we know we're supposed to want. And that's often like we know we we're supposed to want to be a forgiving person or to be a gracious person. But those things cost me something. And I think that's like part of the purpose of that question is I have to give that up. If I really want to be reconciled, there's part of what I want that I have to lay down. Like what I want is to stand over you with a club and beat your head bloody. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what I want. If I'm really honest, okay, you're going to have to let that go. Um, and I think that's what, of course, I want to be uh, a person of grace. Yes, of course I do. But 
that's going to cost you something. Mm -hmm. Grace is painful. To have grace for other people is hard. It's painful. In fact, it's somewhat miraculous. It's it's not terribly different than being unable to walk on your own. Like you can't make yourself, you can't just make yourself by force of will more gracious. You have to, by force of will, decide to seek Christ's help and the work of the spirit to be more gracious. And that's, it's a lot easier to say, well, here's, well, you don't understand. Here's all the other reasons that blah, 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 blah. Uh, I just think it's such a good question because if I'm super honest, what I really want, <clears throat> I don't want to be well. well. I think that's true. I was thinking the other day, you know, temptations later in seasons uh, of life. I think uh, I was reflecting on Hollis's, James Hollis's book, um, living and examine life. And he talks about when you get a little more in the rhythms of life, the two gremlins at the foot of your bed are laziness and fear, you know, or something like that. And I was thinking, you know, about this question, do I want to change? And some days I, I don't want to change. I wake up and I kind of want to check out and I can feel that in me like, okay, do I really have to show up for these meetings? Like I can maybe show up, but can I just check out and coast through the day? What I'm really looking forward to is when I can get back in bed tonight and watch some TV. What I'm really looking forward to is, you know, that glass of wine with dinner. Like that's, and, and for me, I was noticing this, oh, what do I really want? I don't want to change. I don't want to be present today. I want to check out. I don't want to show up. I want to like coast. And I think that's another version of, the, the answer, I don't know if I want to change because that takes mm -hmm. work. That takes yeah. awareness. That takes like, I have to actually like, you know, <laughs> uh, fight against the comfort trap, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's super important for making hard change is to recognize that, that, okay, part of the reason I'm not changing is on my own. I don't really want to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to, but I don't want to, I don't really want to, I want the outcome, but I don't really want the process. And it's, I don't, I mean, some, some forms of change, I think that's like required before you almost have to then get to a point where you say, Lord, help, help. I want to change. Help me change. You know, I want to forgive. Help me forgive. Right. Uh, I, I want to be gracious. Help me be gracious. And it's so often so much easier to sort of be righteous in our bitterness, sort of be righteous in like, all right, all this effort. I mean, the world's screwed up anyway. It's going to be screwed up. So-and-so is going to ruin it. It's just easier if I feel good about myself, blame the world and go about my day. Yeah. Uh, and we don't obviously say that out loud, uh, but do we want to be well? Well, tell me what it's going to cost me mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. That's really what we should say. And I actually think that's, you know, counting the cost. You know, Jesus says we need to die every day, deny ourselves. If I want to be well, it's going to cost me something. And it's probably good to set that down in front of me and say, okay, that's, this is going to, I'm going to have to die a little bit. I'm going to have to deny myself. In, in your example, part of growing is denying yourself that impulse of, 
I just want to check out, get to the end of the day, watch TV, have a glass yeah. of wine, and be disgusted with the world. Yeah. By myself. I want to, I want more checking out. Can I have more checking out, please? <laughs> right. And just that you have to die to that. You have to deny that. Uh, and it, you almost have to be honest about it before you can actually say, yeah, no, that's not. Well, that's this is, this is my own opinion. It may not be true, but I, I think that, um, like there's nothing wrong with coming home and watching some TV or football or glass wine or whatever it is, or I hope not. Right. Yeah, but, but, I, but I think when it's done out of a, I just want to escape mm-hmm. and I don't want to change then that actually doesn't satisfy because we haven't really been living present and from our heart during the day and every moment. So that won't actually be from our heart either. It'll just be all this one big ball of escape and we'll continue to be dissatisfied with everything. So leisure and rest and play are all wonderful things. But when we use them to escape, we're going to realize that they're not actually satisfying or fulfilling because we've been trying to escape our heart uh, in the right. Right. And that same principle would apply to somebody who, instead of leisure and escape, keeps themselves really busy so they don't change or look at themselves or says, you know, I got to do all this stuff or I got to, you know, I got to make money to provide for my family or I've got to handle the situation. And they're always sort of busy, busy, go, go, go. It can be, again, there's nothing. Sometimes we're busy. Sometimes we have to be busy. But if I'm busy so that I don't live an examined life, I'm busy so that I don't ask myself these questions, then that's the same. It's a different version of the same, of same thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. right. Cause do we you all, think, you know, people are different. Go ahead. Uh, do you think Jesus somewhat, you said some of the commentators were a bit hard on the invalid man. And that would, if that's true, that lends itself to Jesus question really being an invitation to, responsibility in saying Mm -hmm. you've had chances and choices. And if that's true, then, then you kind of start to interpret the invalid's answer as more blame shifting. And like, well, the reason I haven't changed is it's everyone else's fault. Mm -hmm. Now that's a little bit hard on him. I get it. But if, but I wonder if that's a possibility, but I think that's, I think that's right. And I think that's partly the truth. I mean, I think partly, um, some of the discussion, I mean, there's almost an impulse to defend Jesus against what seems like a harsh question, the <laughs> commentaries. And that's almost feels like that sort of, uh, but if we set that aside and saying, okay, I don't think I have to defend Jesus. Um, he's probably going to be fine uh, without me. And therefore, if the question is appro- appropriate, how is it appropriate that, yeah, it, there is some responsibility that the guy needs to be taking for his life. And he's telling himself a story that is in the opposite direction. He's telling himself a story. Well, I can't do anything about it. And in that, what I think sometimes the commentators miss is in that we are the invalid man. Right. Right. Because we all say some version of that. Now, I can't do anything about that. Um, it's them. Uh, they're going to have to change or my boss is going to have to change. Uh, I can't do anything. My, you know, my, my father is who he is. My, my wife is who she is. My boss is who he is. Uh, you know, these people are just, the, I mean, what, 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 what do you want me to do about it? 
Uh, and it's an interesting question. Like it's an interesting because it, it, in a sense, the only way the man could be healed, the only way anyone's ever healed is by some sort of divine intervention uh, and perhaps seeking divine intervention through a different route or, you know, going to the temple and praying or whatever um, is what the man maybe should have been doing. Regardless of what he should or shouldn't have been doing, what he, what Jesus is speaking to is this tendency to tell ourselves a helpless story. You know, we talk about, uh, we've talked about uh, crucial conversations and you tell yourself a story. Um, and one of the stories you tell yourself, I mean, it's not everyone tells themselves a story. You just explain the situation to yourself. But one of the unhelpful ways that we tell ourselves a story is we tell ourselves a helpless story. The, I don't really have a choice here story. When usually that's not completely true. Usually you always have a choice. Right. And that's, I think change is going to require me choosing to change. Even if I can't change myself, I have to change to go down this road. I have to choose to die to that impulse. I have to choose, uh, to be vulnerable to all the ways I need to be different. I need to choose to be open to what the spirit is telling me and so on and so on and so on. Uh, and so there's this interesting dance between our choice and relying on God's authority, power, spirit, like both of those things have to go together. And without this, okay, I don't have the ability to change, but with this, I still have to choose. And I think that's the dance that we're looking at there. And I think that's how, that's how people change, right? Nobody, I don't think people really change without some sort of transformative interaction from God at God's point of view, whether they are recognizing that or not, whether they're believers or not. I mean, I just don't think we can just decide to change on our own. That's part of my understanding of the gospel because then we would just decide to change when we have to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. We can't do that on our own, but we have to somehow choose it. I mean, that's sort of the uh, maybe a picture of the dance I'm talking about. Well, what I do you think, think of that? Yeah, I like that. I think what we're getting at, and I like I, I like the way we've got at it, because we didn't start with the theological framework and then said, now, therefore, this, because I think what we're really saying is some measure of if you want, if you're going to experience change, you have to want it. And if you want it, it's probably God that put that there inside of you. Mm -hmm. You see, right? right? Because wanting it, it, wanting it means being willing to pay a price for it, whatever. That right. Is. Wanting it's with, and, and, and the invalid is a bit of a picture for us spiritually. We can't, we need something that we can't give to ourselves. Right. And if we, if we wanted, it's, you know, and, and, and it's God's move first. God's move first. It's always God's move first. And we're just invited to take responsibility, to take agency, to show mm -hmm. up. It's transformation. It's God's idea. It's God's movement. Um, and if there's anything stirring, this is back to Augustine, if there's anything stirring in us that's good, um, well, thank God because he's working in your life. You know, right. he did that. But but there's a, it doesn't negate what we've talked about the whole time is, and yet we all have responsibility. Yeah, we can't say no. We can't say no to the stirring. Yeah. Well, that said, yeah, you said it in a much, much shorter amount of time that you could translate the paralyzed man into the spiritual world. We perhaps can see it much more 
clearly that we can't make ourselves spiritually unparalyzed, but somehow we do need to respond. We do need to take some sort of agency, some sort of movement. Um, okay. So before we're done, I want to ask, I want to talk about one more thing, ask you about one more thing and how I think it's related in some way. Uh, and that's hope, mm-hmm. um, that I think in, uh, long-term particularly situations, we just acquiesce to a certain, that we're a certain way, that they're a certain way, that the situation is a certain way. We kind of give up and there's a sort of danger to hope, like hoping I can be different or it will be different is a dangerous and disappointing thing. And one of the ways we resist change is we get tired of hoping and we set that aside. And now I don't want to hope anymore. Uh, when, um, you know, there's, I think there's a healthy hope. There's a magical hope, hope and a healthy hope. And the magical hope is my, I'm hoping that it, they'll be completely different. The world will magically around change around me. And that's really what I'm hoping for. And then there's a healthy hope of, I hope I can be healthier. I can be more joyful. I can be more gracious in any situation. And we can lay down the magical hope. And while we're doing it, we can lay down the healthy hope too. And that's, and then we don't change, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we're not hoping for anything else. Uh, there's no, wow, this is just the way, it's the way I am. It's the way it is, the way the world is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you're also making the d- distinction between what we talked about right before the passage is, do I want everyone else to change and everything else to change? And is that my hope? And if my hope's tied to that and anchored in that, then yeah, my hope is probably a false hope. Um, and I, I need to let it die to some degree, but I don't need to let the hope of personal change uh, die. I have, to, I have to somehow nuance that enough to say, this is the only thing I can control by God's mercy. That one of my right. prophets at the covenant used to say, you know, I can't, I can't control or change anyone else. And if God is merciful to me, then I can slowly, slowly mm-hmm. start to change. And be I think part that's, of my own change. yeah, being part of my own change. And I think that's, uh, that's true. I think we have to let all of those expectations for what we thought life was going to give to us as another way to say it, let, let those die. What we thought marriage was going to do, what we thought children were going to do, what we thought career was going to do. Um, we thought it was going to answer this ultimate salvation question. And then we realize it can't when possibly that's a good thing. It's a wake up call. It's Jesus question to us. Like, well, what did you, what did you want? Like mm-hmm. that, that can't sustain you anyways. It can't hold the weight of you. So you're going to have to let those die and really mm-hmm. start to face the fact of, do you want to change though? Like, do what do you want? And I remember, I think it was John Gottman who said something like, marriage isn't supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to make you married. <laughs> you know, when you're married, you can, you're free to choose to be happy. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because I don't know where C.S. Lewis wrote it. You might know, but he said something about uh, miserable and joyful people. And basically the whole theme of what we're talking about, he said, at the end of the day, the person who is miserable deep down really wants to be miserable. This is something that they are choosing, that, that, that they ultimately want. And the person that is cultivating joy uh, is something that they want. They're choosing it. They're mm-hmm. choosing to respond in certain ways that expand their heart, mm-hmm. mind, and soul as opposed mm-hmm. to shrink it. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty controversial thing to say to a miserable person. But <laughs> I do sure. think 
there's an element of joy's hard work and you have to keep not only choose it, you have to keep choosing it because yeah. uh, it's going to involve hope. It's going to involve, uh, being, you know, honest self-analysis. It's going to involve letting go of things, um, where, and that's sort of, you know, like the, if you translate the question of Jesus to the man is, you know, Jesus walks up to a person who's been miserable for 38 years. Do you want to not be miserable anymore? Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, here's all the reasons I'm miserable and they might be very good reasons, but that's not the question. Uh, and I do think there's a, that's kind of where the whole hope thing is kind of, you know, that's kind of, kind of what I'm trying to get to in a sense is sometimes it's just easier to say, I'm always going to be miserable. I just have to live with it. And there's almost a certain righteousness to a martyrdom to, you know, I'm going to be righteously miserable because of all the other bad people or the world or whatever. Um, and kind of gets back to the same central, central theme of change is hard. Movement transformation is hard. Hopeful living is hard. Joyful living is hard. You have to work at it and choose it. You can't do it even just by working at it and choosing it, but it's required to work at it and choose it so that God can inhabit that and transform. You're looking for some book? Yeah. Uh, what do you want? I think, <laughs> you know, Friedman's, you know, fa- Friedman's Fables? Uh, no, I mean, I've, I've not read it. I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, of them. Famous psychologist writes stories, uh, just kind of parables, morals. Uh, just real quick, he said the colossal miss is it in his intro. The colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I mean, and it's it's hard. I mean, you almost have to translate it into a tangible you know, situation to kind of grasp that, that, you know, the reality is I'm not that motivated to change. Uh, cause I remember, I mean, I would do financial counseling for people who, you know, we would have these financial ministries or whatever. And inevitably in order for them to have a healthy, healthy finances, it would involve change. And they would say, yeah, but I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. well, I understand. I understand you don't want to sell your house, but you can't afford it. It's it's way too big and fancy of a house. You don't need it. You can't afford it. You're going into debt. You need to sell it. Well, I, but we like our house, right? I understand. It's a really nice Co- house. Correct. <laughs> I like your house. Too. <laughs> correct. <laughs> and as silly as that sounds, that's the sort of thing that yeah, yeah. But I like this. I mean, there's something about this. It's killing me or it's making me miserable, but I still, because I do think to some degree we like bitterness because it makes us feel, I don't know, righteous. We like unforgiveness because we feel better than. There's certain, I mean, we shouldn't like it, but at some level, I don't want to give that up. I think another tangible way to say, and this, this might sting a little bit, is the you know, what if the next conference, the next Francis Chan sermon, the next book, the next thing is just another cover for I'm trying to get insight, but I'm really unmotivated to change. That's right. I don't know yeah, if I that's need more really insight. good. <laughs> that's really good. I mean, that's basically what that is the question. Do you want to be well? Are you motivated to change? Because in some ways your life is going to be very disrupted. And it was actually. And we see that as the, if you watch the, the passage play out, 
He's carrying his, his mat on the Sabbath, which wasn't against the actual Old Testament law, but it was against the traditions of the people. And so, you know, they asked the man and he's, he's, Oh, don't, don't, don't talk to me. Uh, that, <laughs> that dude told me to do it. Yeah. I mean, and the whole idea that I've been paralyzed for 38 years and now I'm walking almost is not even part of that subsequent conversation. Like it's more important that you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath that you couldn't walk for 38 years and now you're walking. How did that happen? That's not even what we're really talking about. Uh, and so his life was disrupted in ways he probably didn't want. Now I'm in trouble with the religious authorities. Go talk to that guy. Uh, and, you know, I think that's uh, for, I mean, yeah. As much as I want to complain about the status quo, there's something about it that I'm maybe, I'm not that motivated to change because I don't want to hope or I don't, I'm afraid of what comes after, you know? So, um, yeah. Very good question. So that's the question. I guess that's our question for the week. Uh, what does, do you want to get well? What is that question and what, you know, translated into the spiritual world, into the emotional world, relational world? What does that question mean to you? What is Jesus asking you? And what's your answer? Mm -hmm. And what, you know, right? And it's, I do think that is so, the insight, instead of motivated to change, description is so accurate to what a lot of what we do in the church is we give insight. Mm -hmm. Here's the seven ways to being a better parent. There's the, you know, three steps to being a better husband. It's insight. But do I really want to do whatever's really hard? Right. I mean, then I, if I'm not really, if the answer to that is no, Insight's not helping. Right. And insight's not changing. Uh, and so I do think, man, we have a lot of resources. We have a lot of knowledge. Uh, I don't think we, that translates to a lot of godliness because we need a little more than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so let's leave it there. That With that question, what is Jesus' question do you want to change? How does that translate to you and your situation today? What's your answer? Be honest. If the answer is no, then that's the beginning probably point of changing because that's what you'll have to die to. Uh, and what does change look like? And how do you begin to rely on God's power to change you? Uh, and by his grace and by his power, he that's what he wants. And he will accomplish it eventually. Um, and so, so let's cooperate with him in that and, and be made well by him. Peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.